What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Frank Tufano on the line. He has got a wildly popular YouTube channel that discusses mostly things related to carnivore. We dive into uh, kind of grass-fed versus grain-fed, why feedlot beef may not be your best optimal bet for true nutrition. We talk about some of the different anti-nutrients in plants. We talk about lifestyle design, how to really optimize for long-term health. We dive into all kinds of things. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you will as well. Without further ado, sit back, relax, enjoy the podcast with Frank, and learn something while you're at it. And Frank, we're live, man. How are you, bud? I'm doing well, man. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you, man. I honestly don't know a whole lot about you, but I've, I've been kind of diving in since we knew that this podcast was coming up and you've been on the carnivore diet now for seven years total is that correct yeah just over seven years i've been carnivore uh it was like the diet that sparked my health journey in a way uh it's weird because i came about it initially inadvertently you know i i read the book how to eat move and be healthy by paul check Mm -hmm. i also read a book called primal body primal mind by nora gagatis uh that led me to you know weston price's stuff book on nutrition and physical degeneration and you know eventually to the understanding that you know humans are supposed to be in a ketogenic metabolism most of the time and that you know animal foods should be comprising the base nutrition of our diet uh, but that was all started because i was having severe digestive issues uh, from a drug called accutane mm-hmm. uh, so you know it's it's like a blessing and a curse in disguise on one hand you know i've helped you know thousands and thousands of people through you know, education and health videos on my YouTube channel. On the other hand, you know, I'd rather be, you know, I mean, it's nice to be, you know, that average person that can eat whatever they want and, and not have any problems with it. I was on Accutane for a while for acne and man, that, that stuff will mess you up. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I, I guess I would say there's a lot of misconceptions around that drug in general. And, and that's a whole topic that can be discussed, but uh, you know, retinal toxicity the vitamin A can only really be achieved from taking a drug like that because the dose is so artificially high. And, and since these other nutrients that are found in animal foods and that we get from living a natural lifestyle, you know, like vitamin D from the sun, vitamin K2 uh, from fermented animal foods, you know, magnesium, selenium, there are nutrients needed to synergize with vitamin A and retinol and use it up in the body. You know, when you take a drug like Accutane and you get that super high dose of vitamin A and it's stored in your liver, and you have, you know, literally a lifetime's worth of vitamin A from that pharmaceutical drug, that's, that's where you have a lot of issues. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people never recover from it. Um, could have been worse for me. You know, a lot of people get Crohn's, IBS, they get half their stomachs cut out. Uh, but, you know, I, I've been working with it, um, you know, the past few years, and uh, I've definitely learned a lot that's helped myself and other people. So what kind of digestive issues were you having? Is it like any particular foods that were causing some flare-ups or what was going on? So my, my liver and my pancreas weren't functioning properly. So like the bile, the stomach acidity, uh, the digestive enzymes needed to uh, process starches, you know, turn the starches into glucose or fructose and break everything down. And then even if, you know, well, my pancreas wasn't even producing the enzymes to break down the starch. So, you know, I would eat a potato, I would eat any sort of rice or bread or anything, and I wouldn't digest it. It would just get stuck. You know, the bacteria would eat it. I'd have really bad digestive symptoms. And, and then when I ate the readily available sources of carbohydrate, like the sugars, the glucose and the fructose, you know, the fructose would just destroy my liver because my liver wasn't working. So I couldn't really eat any form of carbohydrate whatsoever. 
And when I moved towards the, the animal fat, the animal-based diet, uh, I was able to at least digest some of the proteins, turn them into amino acids, absorb some of them. I really, you know, just not digesting food, having low energy, constantly fatigued, uh, nutrient malabsorption issues, you know, all a result of, you know, the impaired organ function from the, from the Accutane. Yeah, my wife had, had struggled with a whole bunch of digestive issues and, you know, she'd gone to the doctor, gotten all kinds of scopes done. And when you go to the typical doctors, they just push sugary foods on you because they're easily digested and absorbed. But that's oftentimes the worst thing you can do. Yeah, there seems to be a, a, a huge degree of the severity of the problem people are suffering from. Now, I would argue that over 90% of people will solve their health problems just by following you know, a diet that incorporates more quality animal foods that restricts the refined carbohydrates and, you know, even trying a ketogenic metabolism from time to time. But, you know, when you consume those animal foods, the, the grass fed beef, wild caught fish, raw dairy, all, all that stuff, you do start feeling better. Your body gets the nutrients it needs. Um, you know, the gut microbiome fixes itself, especially when you start incorporating, you know, the higher quality probiotic foods. Uh, but then there are people that, that have these really, really severe health issues that can't be fixed. You know, with the improvement in the lifestyle, it's something I don't dwell on too much. Yeah, totally, totally. So with regard to, to you going through all these these uh, digestive issues and whatnot, that's when you started reading these books on ancestral health and eating a meat-based diet, and that's when you started experimenting with it, or what kind of led down that path? So I was really into bodybuilding uh, when I was younger. I mean, I'm still a young guy, but, you know, from when I was like 15 to 16 till about my early 20s, I was in the gym for like an hour or two every day. And after I took that Accutane drug, I couldn't follow the bodybuilding diet anymore. And I, I was really tired, low energy. I kind of just gave up on lifting weights and uh, mainly because I wasn't digesting food. Mm-hmm. And I literally started Googling, you know, how to be healthy. And that's how I came across those books, that stuff. I started making sense, the nutrients, piecing things together, you know, reading Weston Price's work, how, you know, all of our past, you know, indigenous ancestors, groups of humans used to consume you know, certain foods that occurred in nature from, the, you know, the wild animal foods to the wild plant foods, certain prepared starches. And I used that as a base of my diet, mainly because I was like, well, I'm not digesting, you know, carbohydrates. So why not try fat? Why not try a ketogenic metabolism? And if the animal foods were the base of nutrients in the diet, it made sense to me that we should also be getting our energy source from, from the animals in, in the form of the animal fats. Totally, totally agree. I, um, uh... I'm a bodybuilder as well, so it's, it's interesting to see because there's so much pushback from the fitness and nutrition space when it comes to getting primarily all of your fuel from animal-based sources. I feel like, generally speaking, the, the meatheads are the the last and most ignorant when it comes to understanding how nutrition truly works in the body to a degree. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Uh, one, one thing in bodybuilding is is really the, you know, the genetic type you know, what you're, you're able to digest is really relevant. So I'm Italian, you know, my ancestors have been consuming starch and pasta and wheat for thousands and thousands of years. I actually do better on a lower fat diet with, um, you know, more, more sugar, more, uh, more lean protein, uh, and just a smaller amount of fat. Uh, but there are people from like different ty- parts of Europe, different countries, different climates that tolerate a very high fat diet really well. Uh, so you'll see, you know, there are plenty of ketogenic bodybuilders like yourself that are doing really well on a fat-based diet. Uh, that being said, I, I will admit it's not necessarily for everyone. It really boils down to how well do you digest the fat? How, 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 and even if 
you're not the type of person that will perform the best on a high fat diet. I would still argue that, you know, in stages of contest prep and losing weight, that that whole like ketogenic paleo carnivore field in, in contest prep is something that's really unexplored. And I think is really beneficial. Uh, I'm sure, you know, it would cut down, you know, a lot of these guys are prepping for what, like 12, 14, 16 weeks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can lose, you know, through fasting, through uh, high fat diets, you can lose body fat substantially quicker and, and cut that down. I'm sure the science isn't really uh, in there yet for exactly how to manipulate, you know, the muscle stores and the glycogen with, with such a short period of cutting fat. But uh, I, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot more exploration in that field over the next few years. Yeah, it's unfortunate because so much of that information is using test subjects that are only, you know, keto adapted for a matter of weeks, which isn't really a true level of adaptation. So it's it's kind of hard to get a, a quality test subject there. Yeah, and even the low-carbohydrate studies, they still tend to have a, a high percentage of carbohydrates in the diet. You know, they'll still be giving the person, you know, 150 to 200 grams of carbs per day, and that's considered a low-carbohydrate diet compared to what we're normally eating. Totally. You made a really good point in that, you know, kind of looking at your lineage has a really big predicating factor as to how well you're going to absorb certain macro and micronutrients. Do you recommend people kind of do a little digging, maybe get like a genetic test on to kind of see where their lineage is coming from? I would say that 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 might be nice to know, but the real truth is is when you experiment with it yourself. Yeah. Uh, you have to make sure you're following a high quality keto diet and where you experiment with a variety of fat sources for at least a period of like two or three months before you can jump to any conclusions. Uh, I would say, you know, if you're not, if you're having a hard time with rendered fat, with cooked fats, then you might even want to try very lightly cooked, like raw animal fats, raw coconut cream, um, really experiment with different types of fat sources, uh, different omega three to omega six ratios for a period of two to three months. And you really want to determine if your body can run on fat because a lot of people will try, as you said, they'll try it for a short period of time. They don't think it's going to work, but you have to make sure you're doing it absolutely correctly. And if you know you're doing it absolutely correctly and you don't have like a, something that people overlook is a vitamin D deficiency. That's, that's a big one. Um, If you can fix your lifestyle and fix everything and follow keto diet for two to three months, you should feel great. And then at that point, when you're feeling great on keto, you can compare the performance to a carbohydrate metabolism. So, you know, after your keto for two, three, four, five months, yeah, start start bringing in those carbohydrates again and see how you feel. But, mo- you know, at least in half of the cases, people are going to feel worse when they include the starch, and they're not going to really notice an increase in performance. That being said, there are some people who do. So, a- as much as you know, you don't people want like a straight answer. You know, there, there's so many different foods out there. They all digest differently. Everyone has a different microbiome. Uh, tolerate tolerates and handles foods differently. You know, you might drink a glass of, you know, raw milk before your workout and, and feel like a million bucks. Another person might, you know, feel like they need to take a nap. So a lot of this does have to be experimented with, but you really want to, you know, have your research down, make sure you're following the diet properly for a long period of time and, and be objective about it. Don't just, you know, try something for a few weeks and say, oh, it doesn't work for me because a ketogenic diet can work for everyone and will work for everyone. And you should have energy and you should feel good. The question is, for your specific genes, for your digestive system, for what you're trying to do, is that oriented around your goals as a performance athlete, as someone who's using a lot more energy than other people? In a lot of cases, people do notice a benefit with the carbohydrates added, but you know there are certain Northern European people and people who metabolize fat very well that do better on only fat. So just out of curiosity, what does a typical day of eating for you look like, for instance? 
So since I did start weightlifting again just uh, about four or five months ago, you know, I mean, you know, my thing is when I was lifting weights, like in my early 20s, like fitness wasn't popular. Fitness just blew up like 2015, 2016. And when I was in the gym with all the gym rats, it, it sucked, man. There's like, you know, there's no girls in the gym. No one like no one cares about working out. And now now everyone's working out. Now everyone's really into it. So I did get back into it. So my, my eating style has changed. Uh, you know, normally most of the time I've been on carnivore. I'll just have one meal a day. I'll eat to satiation, appetite. You know, it was usually some beef, some beef fat, some some organs here and there. Uh, over the past year, I, I've learned a lot more about, uh, you know, zinc, copper balance, things that need to be done, eating more seafood, eating more raw, high-quality dairy. So lately, uh, since I, I've been experimenting on and off with honey as a carbohydrate source, uh, so days that I will have honey, it's going to look like, lean beef or lean bit uh, fish or shellfish. Uh, so for instance, yesterday I had, you know, some, some ground beef, just saute that in a pan. I had a few tablespoons of honey at, at, with that. And then when I was working out later, I had, you know, some honey mixed with water during the workout. I uh, did the same meal at night uh, with the ground beef. And like, like today I had some, some ribeye steaks in the morning and I had some just ground beef sausage. So really, you know, it's, the diet is mostly grass-fed beef right now. I'm pretty much carnivore. Uh, sometimes I'll have some honey here and there. If uh, the beef is really fatty, I won't throw the honey, and I'll just I'll have the beef itself, and I'll see how I feel. Uh, I do throw in uh, some supplements uh, throughout the day because uh, I'm trying to make sure to get the balanced nutrient profile. I'll have the you know the vitamin D3 when I wake up, you know, to replicate some sun exposure. I feel a lot better when I take it. I'll have some vitamin K2 with my meals, you know, to replicate the fermented foods that our ancestors used to have. And, you know, vitamin K2 is very important for, you know, testosterone production as well as uh, just microbiome health in general, calcium metabolism. And then I'll throw in a copper supplement to balance the zinc ratio. You know, if you're eating only beef and you're not incorporating plant foods or a lot of seafood, those foods are high in copper. You're missing copper. You need copper. Uh, I do throw in some magnesium too, probably not needed. Uh, but I don't really supplement a whole lot of things. Um, that, that's it. Uh, just to anything that's, you know, if there's something wrong in the diet, wrong in the lifestyle, you generally have to alleviate it with some type of supplement. Uh, but if you do everything perfectly, you don't have to supplement. That being said, you know, Accutane has made it so I don't tolerate a lot of foods. Uh, you know, on, on, um, on like my meat company makes, uh, we have a beef granola we make. We have some pemmican. So, you know, I'll have that stuff from time to time. But most of the time it's just, you know, grass-fed beef. Uh, if I feel like it, like I had some mussels last week, uh, sometimes I'll have some lobster. Um, I'll throw some seafood in here and there. It's just it's just a lot easier to get high quality beef as opposed to you know better pork, better chicken, all of that stuff. Totally. Are you worried at all about like the heavy metals and some of the seafoods? So I've actually had um, iron overload in my liver from just eating too much beef, um, and I had iron regulation issues because I wasn't getting enough copper, uh, and then. I actually had to, you know, I had to stop eating beef for a while, take a copper supplement, fix that stuff. Uh, there, there's certainly an issue with pollution in seafood, and there's also an issue of uh, agrochemicals and pollution in feedlot meat. So, uh, it's really like, what, what's the lesser of the evils? I would say, you know, I definitely don't want to eat the feedlot meat that has estrogenic herbicides like atrazine. That's that's definitely worse than uh, the the fish. But, you know, farmed fish you don't want to touch either because it can be highly contaminated. Uh, if you're buying wild squad fish and it's a smaller fish like anchovy, sardines, mackerel that live fairly short lives, like I'm okay with that stuff. Same with the mussels and the oysters and the, you know, some crab and some lobsters and stuff. If they're younger animals, if 
or well, seafood, whatever you want to call it, marine life. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if they're smaller, if they don't live as long, they have less time to accumulate those those issues. Uh, but uh, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. The uh, you know a high quality you know hormone antibiotic free grass fed beef source is going to have less pollution concerns than any sort of seafood, any sort of shellfish. Uh, but the problem is you can't really get omega threes from uh, from I mean you'd have to eat animal brains. Uh, and the problem with eggs is unless you're getting really high quality eggs, the omega three to omega six ratio is going to be off. So you, your options for getting, you know, balance your omega three ratios or, you know, either eating animal brains, which, you know, most people don't want to do, or they don't have access to them or eat or rolling that the dice with that seafood, you know, you don't need an incredibly large, And again, you don't need an incredibly large amount of omega threes every, every week to function. You know, you could just have a few tablespoons of like salmon or, or salmon caviar every week. And that's plenty. That's getting your, your omega threes. But there's a difference between having, a maintenance dose of omega-3 versus an initial dose to make up for past deficiencies and past diet imbalance. You know, if you're coming from a standard American diet or, you know, a poorly done carnivore diet and your omega ratios are all out of whack, you initially might want to consume more omega-3 to fix that. And and the pollutants in seafood can certainly cause issues. And it, and it depends on the sensitivity of the person. I mean, it, it absolutely is a concern. Uh, but since, you know, they're, they're a lot, there's a lot of industry funding that has these studies taken down there, you know, there's, there's little, very little research or info available on agrochemicals in, in chicken, beef, and pork. There's very little information available on uh, pollutant contaminants in in, in ocean fish. Uh, and even if you know, even if the fish isn't contaminated, you know, what about the can lighting? What about the the seed oils that these fish are usually packed in in cans? This, you know, we're in a very toxic world, and we can only try to do our best with what we have access to and what our current understanding of it is. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I look at kind of the spectrum of you know how people go through their dieting journey and i feel like you know standard american diets right there at rock bottom and then you have lazy keto which i feel like you know a lazy keto diet is is still probably better than a high quality carbohydrate but you know processed standard american diet and then you start really getting into the weeds about like the the quality of the meat you're consuming on a carnivore based diet you know is it grass fed is it grain fed there's just so many so much nuance there and i feel like a lot of people get overwhelmed they don't really know where to turn but i feel like you really prioritize you know illustrating information about those chemicals those estrogens and how important that truly is yeah i mean i'm not going to say that a you know obviously a dirty keto diet is probably better than a standard american diet uh, a feedlot carnivore diet is probably better than a standard american diet but with those, both of those diets, you're going to run into severe health issues that, you know, by no means are going to, you know, kill you as quickly or put you in as much pain as a, uh, a standard American diet. But I mean, well, well, with the carnivore diet, there are issues that can do that. You know, the iron overload, the histamine intolerance, uh, you know, uh, SIBO, candida, the carnivore diet can cause issues that are actually worse than people would suffer from on a standard American diet. Uh, dirty keto in a lot of cases is probably safer on that aspect that the mineral ratio is more balanced. But, you know, everything requires such an in-depth understanding of everything to really know what to do, you know, how you're doing it. And it's really just like a continual exploration for people. And depending on, you know, how much they want to learn, how willing they are to alter their diet. And a big one is how much money they're willing to spend. Uh, and, and, you know, when you have all these, you know, it's not just, you know, a bunch of objective information out there. You have all these, uh, you know, special interest groups and people, you know, trying to sell products and, and, you know, when someone comes along and says, hey, uh, I think you should try a higher quality diet. But then when you say, oh, no, well, there's 10 other people saying, oh, I'm doing fine on this. You know, back, back to what I said earlier about experimenting and seeing what works for you. 
you want to try everything and make sure you're doing the diet properly and and that it makes sense. Are there like there any a whole bunch routine... of venues? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. That. Are there like any routine blood tests that you that you get to kind of just hedge your bets and make sure that nothing's getting out of whack? I mean, with blood work, you can really test everything. Uh, you could, you know, lipid panel shouldn't be irregular. That you know, that's a you know, when you're when you're LDL, when you're triglycerides, if things are really far off, then you know there might be an underlying problem that you're consuming the wrong foods. Maybe your omega six is too high. Maybe you have to taper off the fat for your body type. Uh, you know, when you're looking at your ferritin, your liver enzymes, that can be an indicator if there's you know any sort of inflammation going on in the liver. You know, of course, you have the CRP and the HCRP that are that are testing for markers of inflammation. But, I mean, again, that that's a lot of these blood markers are are good indicators of various things. Uh, the biggest thing that I look at in people is you know, I look at the thyroid hormones, I look at the testosterone, the hormones, the estrogen, as well as the uh, vitamin D levels. Uh, and th those are usually pretty good indicators of of what the person's been doing, and that can help me uh, address you know how do we remove the endocrine disruptors, the estrogen, the lifestyle. How do we optimize what nutrients the person needs? And and then, of course, there's also, you know, the mineral panels, the, the, all the vitamin panels. Unfortunately, the serum isn't usually indicative of tissue stores. Mm -hmm. uh, I really do like the hair mineral analysis for, you know, identifying. Uh, I mean, the hair mineral analysis above, if you could only get one test done, that that's really helpful in telling, you know, that'll tell you if you have too much iron in your hair, uh, which is an indicator that there's too much iron in your body. That'll tell you your zinc to copper ratio. And very importantly, it'll tell you if you're getting toxins in your lifestyle. You know, there's arsenic, mercury, aluminum that that will measure those levels in your hair. So you'll know if you're if you're still getting those things in your diet, your water, and, and if you still need to focus on removing them or isolating where you're getting them from. Uh, but the but the blood markers, you know, come second to to how you feel. You know, if you're if people, that's that's how you if you if you want to obsess over blood markers, that's where you're gonna like start following a vegan diet to get your, your cholesterol down, which is completely ridiculous and, and doesn't make sense from, from, you know, the ancestral, the health standpoint, if something's irregular on the blood work, yeah, we want to, we want to figure out why it's irregular, but, but the solution is never going to be what, what conventional medicine usually tells us, you know, it's not going to be to, to remove red meat and cholesterol from your diet. It's going to be, okay, are you still consuming high omega six foods? Are you exercising? Are you overweight? Are you eating too much carbs? There's, there, there's in, in the health field, there's just too many things to address. That's why, you know, when I, when I consult with people and in my book and, and in general, the diet I advocate for is a good base to start with. And then you can kind of experiment with and change things from there to see what improves your health, what causes issues and stuff like that. Totally agree. What, what's your take on all the, uh, like plants are definitely getting villainized right now within the carnivore community just for their, you know, anti-nutrients. And I'm, I am not, you know, pro having to have plants by any means. I feel like I personally don't notice a inherent benefit when I ingest a lot of plant matter. But what is your take on just the anti-nutrients and plants as a whole? Like, are we really having any deficiencies by not incorporating them or we pretty much hedge our bets by having a well-formulated nose-to-tail carnivore approach? Well, when you address plant anti-nutrients, you're ignoring the elephant in the room, which is the agrochemicals that are sprayed on those plants, like glyphosate, herbicides, pesticides, fungicides. And the reason that most of those people ignore that elephant in the room is because then you have to bring up, oh, well, you're feeding those same crops to the meat you're advocating for. So there's a bit of, um, there's a, bit of a conflict of interest there. That's why they're sticking on the anti-nutrients. Uh, if you look at every indigenous group, 
they consumed large amounts of wild plant foods, thousands of different types. And when they did consume a specific type of grain, they, they prepared it in a certain way uh, to, to reduce the anti-nutrient content specifically. Uh, grains offer a balanced mineral profile uh, in, in adjacent to meat in our diet, and they also offer a source of energy uh, if they're high quality and you prepare them properly. Uh, the difference between a uh, plant food and an animal food, I wouldn't argue is, is really anti-nutrients necessarily. The most important difference is that the nutrients available in the plant foods are, you know, in, in the plant form. They're not, we don't use them. We don't utilize them the same way as the animal vitamins, the B vitamins, the fat soluble vitamins. When you're looking at a plant food source, the purpose of that plant food source is energy. And if there's an anti-nutrient that you can't neutralize through fermentation or soaking or preparing a certain way, or if there's, uh, you know, glyphosate or herbicides or pesticides or agrochemicals on that crop, you know, you, you want to find a source of energy. You've ever, you know, freshly slaughtered an animal, but, you know, meat is very tough and hard when you first killed and you have to ferment it and prepare it in different ways. Every single food out of nature, for the most part, requires, you know, extensive preparation in order for humans to utilize the nutrition effectively. Uh, but anti-nutrients is a concern because we've stepped away from our ancestral preparation methods. And, and these are observed even in, in now in modern society, you know, with like how Italians make tomato sauce in certain ways, they remove the seeds. Uh, you have people, uh, what's a popular one? I mean, I mean, sourdough bread, people are, you know, fermenting the bread, you know, cheese, ham. Uh, I mean, those foods are fermented to be made easier to digest. I know you have Italians that like they salt the eggplant before they, you know, turn it into eggplant parmesan. Uh, all of these methods on the nightshades, the various, you know, foods, even when you're just cooking a food or you're boiling a food, the purpose of that is to is to remove some of the anti nutrients. But, you know, we certainly have to educate ourselves how we should be preparing certain plant foods, and also in general with the food quality across both plant and animal foods that we're eating, we need to make sure to be buying high quality versions and and eliminate all agrochemical concerns if we can. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, hunting, uh, raising my own, you know, livestock and then also having a garden. And I hate, I would hate to think that people are villainizing, you know, good quality homegrown plants that, you know, you produce yourself, you grow, you know that there's not a whole bunch of, uh, you know, chemicals on there. And if you prepare that properly, whether it be through fermenting that, I would hate to think that that is a negative. Um, and it may be not offer a whole lot of nutritional value but just simply to add some variety to your palate you know that shouldn't be looked down upon i don't think i mean there's definitely something to be said about uh i mean people saying that oh it's it, it's fine it's 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 the main thing isn't necessarily that people are, are victimizing and saying that stuff's bad what's happening is they're saying oh no it's that stuff's great do it if you can but you know buying this you know this feedlot slop is just as good which is uh, th that's the conflict of interest that that we're seeing right now. A lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of people don't want to invest their time or their money into, into into that food system. And you know, I've done I've done a lot of like budget grocery hauls where I go into su like supermarkets like Walmart, uh, Asian markets, and stuff. And there's a lot of high you know quality, affordable, you know, wild seafood, different types of plant foods. You know, you can buy, you know, organic rye flour for like a dollar or two a pound. You know, the stuff isn't expensive. It's just, you know, do you want to make sourdough bread five hours a week? You know, do you want to eat stinky fish? It's, it's just, it's not, it's always a matter of, you know, I, I have a saying, you know, America wants cheap, 
fast and easy. You know, that's why, you know, a lazy keto diet is so popular. Um, and, and I mean, to, to put it bluntly, like life is not supposed to be fun and easy. Yeah. Um, you know, all the successful people on this planet have had hardworking, I would say, I would even use the word miserable lives. But um, one thing biologically that men have uh, is the drive to procure uh, to procure resources for, for the family. And, you know, in the past it was hunting where we had to procure meat for our family in the present it's money. And, you know, men have that natural drive to, to procure money and whatever way that is, whether it's, you know, educating people through health, understanding more about health and, and striving to, to constantly achieve more. That's, that's what gets people to do these things in their life, to, to have a farm, to grow these foods, to grow these vegetables, to put more effort into sourcing everything. Once you develop an understanding of it and importance to it and related to that, you know, that natural biology, that's where you can become successful and do it. And uh, contrasting to that, you know, women have the, the biological, um, yeah, every woman has that, you know, care for children, wants to nourish the children. It's the same thing. Humans have this inherent need for quality nutrition that we strive for, but it, it's kind of disappeared in our modern society and people devalue the importance of it. Uh, so, you know, is a, is a feedlot beef diet better than a standard American diet, yes, but you're still not going to be healthy. It's still not going to, you know, make, create an optimal uh, group of people. And and unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are being paid to to say that. Oh no, grain-fed beef is great. I feel great on it. But uh, you know, we'll see. It's it's always a it's always a constant battle. Then then on the you know, not only do you have that, you have the you have the vegans. You have all this other nonsense. It's just uh, you know the. The, our our society has done a great job at pitting us against each other instead of working together to to find solutions. Totally agree. I think one of the large arguments out there now between the vegans and the meat based community, and even within the carnivore community, is the scalability factor. Like, how do you find a way to sustainably feed population size that we've you know created over the past several years? Uh, I mean, what what is your take on that? Like, you think something more. Uh, well-rounded like that regenerative agriculture approach is scalable to the point of being able to feed 7 billion people or what do you think makes the most sense well right now with what's going on with you know solar cycles and 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 harvesting we can't even feed our our society with what's happening now uh in a way this um this this issue going on right now in the public is covering up our food supply problems where you know if we have one bad growing season you know half the canned foods are empty on the shelves and and that happens and throughout human history there's there's been spans of dozens of years where climate is very irregular and there's been mass famine so our current food system isn't working in that regard and and, and the reality is you know i mean we're gonna have to start living like we used to our our, jo- our jobs as primitive humans were to procure calories for ourselves you know if, if and and living on a living on a farm and just providing food for yourself you know it is it is a time investment but that's what I, I think moving towards people being back out in, in those, you know, in a suburban rural type area, having an acre or two of land each, you know, having some animals to have, have some chickens, have some eggs, have some dairy, gr- have a little garden to grow your food. I think that's if, if we want something sustainable, that's what we have to move towards. If and if we're not and, it, and that's a bit of a, an exaggeration, I would say what's more realistic is just having more farmers in general doing that. It's very easy for you know, one, one or two farmers to provide food for dozens, if not hundreds of people. It's just when we have so few farmers and so many people, there needs to be a little bit of a, of a shift. And, 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 you know, people, you know, instead of working, you know, a nine to five day job in the city, imagine if you were out on a farm doing that type of stuff, it's, 
certainly a different lifestyle, but you can still make money off of it and you can still do it. Uh, it's, but again, this relates back to getting people to understand the importance of, you know, of these things in their, in their, in their lifestyle and their diet. It's funny. I don't know if it's because I'm in this echo chamber of being so much, you know, so deeply involved in the, the keto carnivore space, but I feel personally like that lifestyle has become more appealing to a larger number of people. At one point, that was just frowned upon. Like if you work with your hands, then you're lesser of a human. Whereas now I feel like people that are doing that are, are looked up to as having a skill set, having a a level of knowledge of the land that people aspire to to learn themselves yeah there's definitely like an idea behind it that oh well farming is stupid and simple and we've all figured it out and and let those guys in the midwest and their tractors just grow all of our food they know what they're doing and and reality is it's far more difficult far more labor intensive and, and very time consuming and and it's certainly rewarding i mean yeah face value it's not glamorous you know you know I mean, listen, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm the last guy that's going to, that's going to, that wants to be out in the field, uh, you know, in boots and in mud for 12 hours straight. Would I do it? Of course I do it. But I know my skill set right now, the, the information I have access to in regards to nutrition isn't really conducive to that. You know, if I'm able to help thousands of people through my YouTube channel and, and, you know, why wouldn't I just, you know, organize things, have someone else run a farm? Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't see uh, someone like uh, Bill Gates, you know, working a McDonald's cash register to, you know, it's, 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 you don't see Bill Gates, you know, why wouldn't Bill Gates hire someone to run a farm and do that for him? There's, um, there, there's people that fit into that skill set, and, and not everyone is meant to do it. You know, I mean, personally, you know, even if I was willing, you know, I mean, as I've said, I'm willing to do a farm and do that stuff, but I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, you, you know, those guys that can like fix everything, they're handy, they They've grown up around that stuff. Like if I was that type of person, hey, maybe I maybe I'd be down to do it. I went to uh there's a farm like about an hour and a half north of me that I I go to on occasion and you know, the guy that runs the farm, you know, he, he was an engineer. He 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 went to school for it and he decided he wanted to do the farm instead. And and this guy built this like crazy, you know, whole milking facility and that type of stuff. So there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of I mean money that goes into into those operations. So it's not all nothing nothing in life is easy. And, and you have to you have to be honest with yourself and be realistic about what you can do and how you can, you know, you know, procure food, procure resources, whatever you need to do to make yourself healthy and as many people around you healthy. Totally agree. With you being in the carnivore space for as long as you have and kind of doing all this self-experimentation, I'm curious, man, what are some what are some things that you've seen just take place over the past several years? I mean, I've been strict keto now for five or six years and just in the past two years, I've seen just this massive shift in interest, knowledge, information, and uh, you know, just content. What what have you seen? Where do you think things are going to be going in the future? Like, are we at the peak of this hype, or is it going to continue to rise? Like, what's just your gut instinct about it all? Uh, you cut off for like ten seconds there. Oh, I, I was just asking. You, you, you said um, uh, the last thing I heard was there's been a lot of like talking in the in the car, shift in the carnivore community and then it cut out yeah so there's, there's been this you know this shift in the carnivore community in the keto space i mean i've been straight keto for five six years and i've seen such a massive movement within that realm you know and the same is true with what's happening in the carnivore space so with you being in the carnivore space as long as you have you know you have a really good pulse on what's happening where do you see things going in the future like do you think we've 
spike? Do you think it's going to continue to rise? Like, where do you think things are going to be going? I think when people see the carnivore diet, they they don't really want to do it. They don't want to try it. And and even the people that do try it, uh, it can be difficult to stick to it. That's why, you know, what we do is we see spikes of people when they push the carnivore diet on podcasts, on the TV, on the news. You know, when they push those things, we see a spike, but then people go back to eating their regular diet because the information available to people isn't conducive to a healthy lifestyle. Uh, you know, if you follow the standard feedlot beef diet, uh, you're going to, you know, you're just, I mean, it's just, you're not going to be able to stick to it. You need to understand why you're doing it. You need to understand what other foods you can eat. Uh, you need to understand what negative things can happen. So I would argue the vast majority of people that try it don't end up sticking to it. The people that do end up sticking to it will end up developing, you know, off the top of my head very quickly. Uh, the big one is a histamine intolerance. And then that leads to problem sleeping. Uh, so, so meat, meat is high in histamine, uh, which is a, it's a heterocyclic amine. It's a, there's a bunch of different amines in food like tyramine that, that are increased when, when the food ages and all meat is pretty aged, you know, when you slaughter a cow, by the time that meat gets to the supermarket, it's already, you know, a month, two, three months old and your body needs copper to metabolize histamine. So carnivore diet, low in copper, can't metabolize the histamine. People run into health issues after a few months on the carnivore diet. So unless the information about how to do a proper carnivore diet becomes more readily available, then uh, people are going to have an issue uh, long-term. And, and the nose to tail thing isn't really, uh, that's, that's more, I mean, I mean, I think that's kind of like a, a, I mean, is that true if people actually were doing it properly? Yeah. But that's more of a marketing term that's being used to sell people like collagen supplements and, and liver stuff that that's not actually, you know, nose to tail, nose to tail means, you know, shellfish, seafood, raw dairy, foods that encapsulate the complete animal nutrition. You know, no one, you, people don't have access to whole animal nutrition. They don't have access to stomach, tripe, brains, all these types of glands, different connective. Yeah, you know, unless you're unless you're cutting open a cow in your backyard and, and eating every single thing on it, you're not gonna, you can't be healthy on a carnivore diet. And since that's so unrealistic for people to do, I mean, there just needs to be a lot more education out there and. Uh, you know, with the keto diet, with the keto community, since people, you know, adhere to the diet and are able to stay to it, and since there's a lot more variants, there also in turn has been a lot more information on the keto diet, which is why it's it's a more successful movement. You know, the, the message, the initial message is simple, and then there's a whole bunch of information people can learn more about the keto diet, but uh, for, for the carnivore diet, it, there's definitely things that are, are re being refused to address because it results in, in not, I mean, there, there, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that the agenda is to increase meat sales, but, um, th there has to be at least some transparency and some truth that, that they can put in there to, to prevent people from, uh, from experiencing health issues. So from like an actionable standpoint, if, if somebody's listening to this and they want to do the carnivore diet right the first time, what would you recommend? Like, are there specific supplements that you would ensure they get or just make sure that they can get the freshest meat possible to avoid any unnecessary histamines or what would you do? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, not everyone's going to have thousands of hours to watch through all of my YouTube videos. Uh, so, you know, when you consume a beef diet, uh, you're definitely missing copper. So just by supplementing copper, when you, you consume a carnivore diet, you're going to alleviate the issue of, of histamine intolerance. Um, another issue that's going to come up is if you're not getting enough retinol, enough vitamin A in your diet, if you're eating feedlot meats, uh, to regulate iron. So if you are eating grass-fed meat, the retinol is probably not a concern. 
Um, if you are eating feedlot meat, then you want to get like a cod liver oil or beef liver supplement or something to get a little bit of retinol in there or even consume some high quality dairy products like raw cheese. Those are very high in retinol. Um, so you have your copper, your vitamin A, then vitamin D is very important. Uh, if you're consuming fat soluble vitamins and meat in large amounts, you need to get vitamin D as well uh, to metabolize those nutrients for synergy. And something people don't talk about is also the, the vitamin K2, which is obtained from fermented foods. And by fermented foods, we mean like cheese, yogurt, kefir. So if you're not incorporating fermented foods into your diet, you definitely want to uh, to take vitamin K2. And vitamin K2 is also necessary for you know, vitamin D3 metabolism and, and all of these nutrients work together. You know, you can't just eat muscle meat because it doesn't encapsulate the complete nutrition of the animal, which means it doesn't give your body all of the nutrients it needs for all the metabolic functions. Uh, outside of those things, I mean, it, it is, it is, it is pretty painfully simple on paper. Uh, you would also want, you know, some omega threes, which isn't too hard to do, have some, you know, wild squat fish here and there. And, and then you might have an iodine deficiency, but you know, iodine is also related to, you know, fluoride and chlorine and bromide in our water and food supply that's inhibiting our iodine uptake. So, you know, th there is a lot to understand about how to be healthy, but you know, in my, I have, I have a, a free carnivore diet meal plan on my website that, that, that goes over these, these basically five essential nutrients that you kind of need. Uh, you know, if you're getting the vitamin A, the vitamin D, the K2, the omega fatty acids, the iodine in your diet, everything else is generally going to fall into place and you're going to be able to figure, figure other things out. Uh, if you, once you get those nutrients in, uh, the only big thing to do is to figure out your macronutrient ratio, you know, how much fat, how much protein you need to eat to, to have a, a consistent energy level. And then you can even mess around with, um, you know, with what specific foods you like to eat. Should I eat dairy? Should I eat eggs? Should I do this? Should I do that? Um, do you have yeah, a I mean, specific there's, there's, recommendation for copper? So, so the copper to zinc ratio in the body is supposed to be uh, one part copper to anywhere from eight to 15 parts zinc. I usually try to go in the middle of that around 11. Uh, so if you're eating, let me just, let me just look up how I think. Uh, one pound of meat has about uh, 15 milligrams of zinc. Let me just double check that real quick. Because uh, you know, I could tell people, oh, well, you should take between, you know, one and four milligrams of copper per day. But I'd rather give people an actual estimation on uh, specifically if you eat this much meat, you should eat uh, that much copper. So uh, one pound of beef has 10 milligrams. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was about right. 20, 20 milligrams of zinc. So if you're eating two pounds of meat per day, you're getting 40 milligrams of zinc and you're not really getting that much copper. So, um, I, yeah, about three to four milligrams of copper per day would be a pretty safe amount. If you're eating up to two pounds of beef, uh, I would say minimum like one to two milligrams of copper per day, uh, on, on a carnivore diet. That, that's the most important thing you're doing. Uh, magnesium, uh, usually 200 to 400 milligrams. Uh, if you're consuming dairy, magnesium might need to be a, a bit higher. Vitamin D, I always recommend people start, you know, around two to 3,000, 5,000 IU, somewhere in the lower range. And then, you know, if you want to fix a deficiency, you can go up to 10,000 per day. Uh, for vitamin K2, you know, food serving is normally 500 micrograms. Uh, but there are studies where, you know, they've done 100 times that amount. People take 45 milligrams of K2. Uh, you know, so bear in mind, you know, you have, if you have a nutrient deficiency, your body can tolerate much higher amounts of the nutrients initially, but then once you fix that deficiency, you can go towards a maintenance dose. Uh, I did a video recently, like, uh, where I, where I covered this, uh, my organ supplements videos, like 
what the what the base dose is, what the fixing dose is, and what the maintenance dose is. Uh, for omega three, you basically just want to eat you know wild caught fatty fish as often as you can tolerate. Uh, the, the, you know that's something that takes years to balance out eventually. Uh, you know omega three to omega six ratios. Uh, vitamin A, retinol. Uh, most people don't need it initially. Uh, depends on what you're what you're and you don't really need to try to focus on eating liver or supplementing it. Uh, you could try eating liver, see how you feel. You could incorporate a little bit here and there. But initially, people are usually deficient in the other nutrients uh, primarily. And, you know, of course, you don't have to supplement any of this stuff. If you're if you're getting some sun, if you're eating some yogurt, some fermented foods for K2, uh, you know, if you're eating plenty of wild caught fish for iodine, you know, you don't you don't technically need to supplement anything. You you can parallel the supplement to something in the lifestyle. You know, if you're eating plenty of high quality wild plant foods, you know, mushrooms, um, uh, and, and seafood, you know, seafood's very high in copper, salmon, squid, uh, different, uh, uh, lobster, different types of fish have plenty of copper. So, you know, this is in the context of like a beef only diet, something really simple. This is what you need to supplement. If you're willing to increase your food variety, you know, look more into food sourcing. If you have time to tan during the day, that's where you can say, all right, well, I don't need to supplement these things because I'm getting them from a natural food source. Gotcha. Yeah, totally agree. What about sodium? How much sodium do you typically take in a day? This is pretty subjective. Uh, you know, there are people that that do great without salt. I'm not one of those people. Uh, I, I salt my food to taste, and you know, some people. I mean, a big a th- the big thing with sodium is you know a lot of times it's masking an iodine or a halogen issue. So I usually suggest to people, you know, make sure you remove um, the the bromide, the fluoride, the chlorine from your water source, from your food source. Make sure you're supplementing small amounts of iodine or eating seafood, maybe even eating kelp. And then, you know, your, your craving for sodium should regulate. Uh, it's usually the same amount of potassium. So if you're eating, you know, two to three pounds of meat per day, you're going to be getting, you know, uh, like three to 4,000 milligrams of potassium just from the meat. So you want to kind of balance out the potassium to the sodium. So you'll, you'll probably do like three, three to four grams of salt per day, depending on how much food you eat. But, but the appetite almost always dictates uh, how much salt you want, you know, because for me, I was like, sometimes I'll be uh, like a bad Italian boy and I'll go eat like three pounds of prosciutto at a deli. Mm-hmm. And that it's so salty that like, I won't want salt for the next three or four days. Like my body will literally tell me like, do not put salt on the food. You won't want it. Uh, and then if I go for like a day or two without salting my food, like let's say I just didn't feel like salting my food, then I'll start craving salt again. So this is, again, this is, very anecdotal, very subjective, depends on the person. Um, you know, I would, I, I think it really goes almost 50, 50, both ways about half the population can, can go without salt and half the population, uh, does need salt. Yeah. It's interesting, man. I've noticed too, that the leaner I get, like when I'm in a contest prep, like I am now, my craving for salt seems to amplify tremendously. Yeah, there, there's definitely, uh, there, there's a lot of, you know, I mean the demand on the body for salt, how, how much a- activity you have, uh, there's a lot of things to go into consideration, but it's nice and, and, and anecdotal that you can just kind of listen to your body and your body tells you what you want. I always, you know, it's, you always want to know why your body's telling you, telling you that. Uh, but you definitely have to listen to, to how you're responding to, to whatever, um, electrolytes, whatever you're putting in your body. On that note, are you typically tracking macros personally? Are you kind of just going instinctive with it? No, I, I've never tracked macros. I've I've always gone to appetite, and uh, I really I really don't like tracking macros because you know when you're eating food, when you're, you know, 
getting nutrition in your diet, your, your body is the best indicator of that. And, and people have, you know, unfortunately like grown up and, and, and been raised to, you know, to not have like a, a normal appetite. You know, once you fix the nutrient deficiencies in your diet, your appetite's going to regulate. You know, once your body has enough vitamin D, vitamin K2, vitamin A, omega-3, you're not really going to be craving food anymore. Um, you know, you're only going to be eating, you know, a moderate to normal amount of food. So, you know, I, I never eat more than I want to. I never eat less than I want to. I always stick with my appetite. And I try not to consume like super palatable, super satiating foods. Uh, you know, if you start eating like keto ice cream or stuff like that, that's where you can kind of throw off your natural hunger signals and, and, and run into issues. So if you're consuming natural, like whole foods, like meat, fish, eggs, dairy, vegetables, fruits, properly prepared grains, if, if all the food quality is really high, you don't have to worry about uh, t tracking your macros because your natural appetite is going to be fine. But once you put someone in, in the context of the modern world with all these artificial Franken foods, then yeah, you're going to have a problem. And you're, you said you're only doing like the one meal a day approach, right? Well, with the bodybuilding, I do two meals a day. So I'll do one meal in the morning and one meal at night. Um, yeah, the, the caloric expenditure for the workout and the muscle building is, is, is higher than I'm able to get in, in one meal in the day. Gotcha. Um, that's how it's always been. Gotcha. Yeah, when I'm in a building phase, I definitely try and increase my feeding frequency. It'd be hard to get enough calories in with just one single meal. Yeah, I think an average healthy person that's not that's not a bodybuilder can can just do one meal a day perfectly fine. And I think that type of person can even do like even fast a couple of days a week and be good. But the amount of nutrients, amino acids and proteins required to synthesize muscle tissue and the amount of, you know, energy nutrients that you need to fill glycogen stores on a daily basis and have energy is is at least like 3 to 4 times the normal person. So it's hard to get that in with one meal. What is your take on the absorption of that protein amino acids if it's all in one setting? Like if you, you know, does your body reach this threshold in which it no longer absorbs anymore, so there's no point in consuming more? Or what, what's your take on that? Well, proteins need to be broken down into amino acids before they can be absorbed by the small intestine. So if, if you don't have enough stomach acidity to break down two pounds of meat, then you're kind of wasting it. So you kind of want to figure out how much meat can your body digest at once and then, and then consume that. Uh, you know, if you're overeating meat, then you're just consuming excess that your body's going to waste. Yeah. Uh, same thing with starches. You want to find a, 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 an eating frequency and a meal timing that allows you to uh, absorb nutrients efficiently. And, and eating, you know, eating one pound of beef in the morning and one pound of beef at night is without a doubt better than eating two pounds of beef in, in the morning. Um, well, I mean, usually, yeah. I mean, it, it depends on how, if, if you're overeating. That's the thing. Yeah. If you're if if you're eating past your your digestive system's capacity to absorb food, yeah, it's you're wasting net nutrients essentially. But, um, I mean, I mean, the the safety net is just eat as much as you can all the time. But then you can run into digestive issues and and call and have, you know, you'll run into stuff like SIBO, leaky gut, candida. Uh, you know, yeah. Normally people are like, oh, I'll just eat more and not worry about it. That 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 can work for some people, but. If you do that and you get digestive issues, then you're going to be in a whole heap of trouble. Yeah, that's when it really comes down to you know self experimentation and understanding that what works one for one person may not be the same for everyone. Um, talk about your book, man. That that released not too long ago, right? Yeah, the book is titled uh, "The Ancestral Indigenous Diet," um, and and like the, the paraphrasing is you know a whole foods meat based carnivore diet. 
And I basically go over, you know, my elements of health. You know, I speak about a lot of what I've spoken about today. So, you know, the base nutrition of our diet is the quality animal foods. Uh, the focus of the book is talking about those nutrients, why we need them. And, you know, it doesn't really go in depth too much into like the plant food types. It's really giving you that base understanding that our ancestors ate high quality animal foods. These are the reasons we need to eat high quality animal foods. These are the nutrients we are getting from it. And in addition to that diet factor and those nutrients, you know, I talk about improving your water source, how to make sure you're not getting pollutants in your water, uh, making sure to get enough sun. And, and then I'll, I, I touched a little bit on exercise, but it's really just uh, getting people pointed in the right direction for their diet and, and, and starting that part of their health journey. On the water topic, do you use like a specific filter or anything there? So there's three solutions to... Uh, your water source one is to yeah you can filter it but reverse osmosis distillation still doesn't remove concerns about you know birth control certain hormones certain things in the water but it's certainly better than nothing second solution is glass bottled mineral water which is you know it's expensive not everyone can afford it and uh, you know, it's just it's it's good on a temporary basis to gauge if you feel better and the third solution is going to a local well or spring there's a website findaspring.com or some people are even lucky to have their own well water that's tested um, you know, there are, you know, there, there's the halogen concerns, the fluoride, the chlorine and, you know, bromide in the water that are impairing certain functions in the body. And there's also the concern about the antibiotics, the hormones, the atrazine, the endocrine inhibitors in the water source. Um, you know, I, I have a few videos on water on my channel. Um, I have a video on halogen toxicity. Um, I cover that in my, uh, in my carnivore, I have a carnivore diet course on my website. That's $20, which is about an hour. It's basically an hour of how to get basically it's an hour of how to get started like everything you need to know is in that one hour it's 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 beginner though like if you've been if you've watched all of my i mean you know if you've watched all of my youtube videos you'll get this information but the one hour carnivore course kind of points you in the direction of, of what which of my videos you should watch and it's a good starting point because all of these topics do get complicated there's a lot to know about everything what I mean, what what is the biggest pet peeve you have now, and just the mass amount of content being published around the carnivore diet? Like, if there's, like, if you could just scream from the rooftops, what's one thing that you would want people to be informed about? Uh, lifestyle factors. Uh, you know, they're not. You know, we're not talking about water, as we just said. We're not talking about you know vitamin D three. You know, we're not talking about you know the base nutrients in the diet. We're not talking about you know basically anything that was present. There's things present in our ancestral diets. That, that people are ignoring, you know, fermented foods, plant foods, carbohydrates, healthy microbiome. Uh, there's too many lifestyle factors that people are ignoring. Uh, and, you know, and it, it, it real, everything really points in the direction of, you know, for some reason trying to increase beef sales. And, you know, all, all of these, these dietary communities do fall victim to special interest funding. You know, wherever people are eating food, there's money to be made, whether it's vegan, keto, carnivore, and there's nothing wrong with making money. There's just a lack of integrity behind a lot of these products and a lot of these things people are selling. And, yeah. and, and, you know, does every, does, does the stuff work that people are pushing? Yeah. But it's like, um, you know, it's like, t what, what's a good analogy for this? It's like, you know, telling someone to, uh, to apply for a job, they apply for another job making twice as much money and, but then they're okay with just making some money. It's kind of like what people are doing with, uh, with these, these dietary trends there. They're giving people part of the solution instead of the whole solution. Yeah, I definitely try to emphasize quality over quantity any day of the week. I mean, I think the more we can peel back the layers of the onion, so to speak, and just really, really illustrate to people why the underlying root cause of, you know, any illness or 
metabolic disease they're experiencing is and then how to correctly fix that for the long haul as opposed to just some quick fix you know 30 day whatever i feel like that really needs to be the underlying uh, driver as to what what content's being published and how it's being delivered yeah i mean back to the positives and the negatives thing you know a lot of the time it's not necessarily about what people should be eating it's about what they should not be eating and and really just getting back to a baseline of health but uh, you know, i mean overarching everything people have to want to do it and yeah. and you know human selfishness how, how people act in general with what their goals and priorities are in their in their normal life you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, I feel, you know, weird in a way walking around and, and seeing all these unhealthy people. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, a 10 minute conversation with me can essentially fix all their health issues in their lifestyle. But you know, I'm just some random guy they met on the street. Why would they listen to me? It's, it's always uh, it, it's weird in a way. The information is there. People have to want to find it. Yeah, it takes a little bit of take a little bit of work ethic. People need to be willing to put in the work and put their health on a priority. I love it, man. I love it. I don't want to take up too much time. Where can people go to find out more about you and, and learn some of the information you're putting out? Yeah, sure. The YouTube channel is just Frank Tafano, youtube.com slash C slash Frank Tafano. Uh, they can go to frank Um I have the free carnivore diet meal plan. Uh, you guys can also, uh, that that's where you can check out my book. I have consultations on there as well. Uh, if you guys do want to check out quality animal foods, we have Frankie's Free Range Meat. Uh, we have organ supplements where I do have things like vitamin D, vitamin K2. And then uh, I do have Frankie's Naturals with with hygiene and cosmetic products. And, and you know, all, all this stuff, these businesses, it's it's all something that I've done because I needed the products myself and I noticed a lack of them. Uh, so, you know, by all means, you know, you can make your own, make your own tooth powder, make your own deodorant that's aluminum free. You know, go to your local farm, get these foods that are free from antibiotics, hormones, pesticides. Uh, you know, you can consume foods, you can get sun, you can get fermented foods, you know, by all means, I, I, I feel like a, you know, like the, um, you know, walking up the steps in a way, like a start to people exploring, getting, getting their foot in the door and, and starting to, to improve their health and, and understand all the aspects of their lifestyle. They need to improve their health. I love it, man. Well, I will certainly link out to those so people find you easily and keep putting out the content, man. Like the more, the more people like you, I and others just put out the good information that's positively impacted our lives hopefully it can positively impact others and makes it all worth it hey i'm excited rob thanks for having me you bet man take care